You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi everyone, welcome to Informed. Simeon here and I am today with Dan Gould. Hello Dan. Hello. And Daniel Goodman. Hello. Good morning. It's a good, it's a good thing that one of you is a Dan and one of you is a Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise this would get very confusing. <laughs> It is Dan Gould's first time on the podcast, so we have to ask him, Dan, in one minute, why are you a Christian? Why am I a Christian? Because God chose me. <laughs> I'm a Christian, yeah, because um, I had an encounter with Jesus. I saw I was very lost and Jesus uh, appeared to me in a vision and um, heard an angelic voice telling me to read the Bible, picked up my Bible and it was... Um, uh, it opened on Isaiah 38, which is a passage where somebody cries out to God and is rescued. And um, then I rang my mum excitedly because she's a Christian. And um, she was so worried about me that the previous day she'd gone to her vicar and they prayed Isaiah 38 over my life. So I was um, categorically a Christian with a capital C from that point on. You know, there was no doubts. There could be no doubts from that point on. I wish I wish I wish I did have experiences like that all the time, but, <laughs> but it's not the case. But essentially, that's why I'm a Christian. Fantastic. What does Isaiah 38 say? Um, it's it's where um, King Hezekiah cries out to the Lord for, to, to have his life extended. And God uh, extends his life by 15 years or so. Something like wow. that. I'm not really You've had cool. more than 15 years. I know there was a nervous moment when I crossed the 15, <laughs> 15 years from being saved barrier. Uh, but yes, I'm still here. So I didn't take it too literally. That's good. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> God is very kind, isn't he? Yeah. The story. So today we're going to talk about a topic which someone emailed me about. And I want to say to uh, anyone listening that if there's a particular topic you'd like us to talk about on Informed, then do drop me an email. Um, no promises, uh, but I'd love to hear what's on your mind and see whether we can help with it. Um, so the topic we're going to talk about today is um, guidance and free will and the sovereignty of God. Um, so the email I got said that um, uh, a group of you were talking about the sovereignty of God. And I think we, would, you say, I think we would all find a podcast on this subject really helpful if you need any topic suggestions particularly questions like, do we have free will slash to what extent? And is it possible for us to mess up God's plan for our lives? Brilliant questions. And there's a couple of different um, angles on that. One angle you could take on the whole free will question is about how does that work in terms of salvation and the sovereignty of God versus our responsibility to respond to the gospel um, and our choices in that. And that's something I'm hopefully going to um, do another podcast episode on in the future. So we're not going to touch on that aspect so much today. We're going to focus on the whole um, area of guidance and um, our lives and the circumstances of our lives and the decisions that we have to make and how the sovereignty of God and uh, our free will fit in to that. Um, so let's start. Daniel, why don't you um, talk to us about the sovereignty of God? Yeah, so I think um, it's important to start with when you're faced with complexity like this, lots of very, very big questions. You need to go back to 
in order to sort of navigate through that complexity, it's helpful to discern what are the principles that I can draw on to help me uh, to answer these questions. Um, and so I think the principle that we need to sort of um, put at the center is that God is sovereign. There's, um, you know, it's, it's true that our lives are shaped by the, by the stories we hear. And um, this guy, you know, Joseph Campbell, that many people will be familiar with, he wrote the book, uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which came out in the late 40s. And, and that book sort of hypothesized an archetypal story which was to do with the unlikely hero who um, has to go on this quest kind of at first they resist and then they, and then they agree and then they find a mentor, et cetera, et cetera. And th this sort of thinking has, has really dominated um, films and, and books ever since and, um, and before. And, and it's possible to watch films like Star Wars and Harry Potter and all those sorts of things. And, and, and to think that our lives ought to be the same, that we're the heroes of our story, that we're the center of our story. Um, and it's just important to remember that it's not like that. <laughs> um, the Christian story is that Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the unlikely one who went on a quest and, and, and did incredible things on our behalf. God is at the center of the universe, not us. God is sovereign. This is really um, key biblical idea. So just in order to kind of, um, establish that let me just throw a few examples at you, at you from scripture um 1 kings twenty two nineteen says i saw the lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left god is king on his throne you see that in kings isaiah daniel revelation ezekiel hebrews and and loads of psalms so not only is he king but he's a king who reigns forever exodus fifteen eighteen says the lord will reign forever and ever you see that in, in Proverbs, Isaiah, Daniel, Matthew, again, loads of Psalms. But he's also a king who's ever present. So Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? So he's sovereign God on his throne in heaven. His reign will be forever. And he's ever present with us. Um, and he does whatever he pleases. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. That actually comes up a number of times in, in Psalms. Or again in Isaiah 46, 9, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purposes will stand and I will do all that I please. Um, I love, just to, can I throw one in? Yeah. I've just been thinking, I love um, Isaiah 40. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. Um, he blows on them and they wither and the whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Yeah. It's just like the sovereignty of God so brilliantly um, illustrated i love that so uh, you know we could go on endlessly trying to make that point um i think that probably suffice won't it um god is sovereign and so the question then is well how is he sovereign what is he like and how do i relate to him and i guess that's that's the sort of question we need to we need to get to mm. 
Thank you, Daniel. I think that's a really important point about the fact that Jesus is the hero in the Christian story and he's at the centre, not us. Um, I think there's a danger in contemporary Christianity that we make it out to be all about us. We, we talk about things like finding our destiny, uh, our purpose in life. Um, uh, and, and, and that may be true, um, but it's not the emphasis of what it means to be a Christian. It's not all about me and uh, what God is going to do in my life. It is about his purposes for the whole world, for the whole universe. Um, and I, I'm part of that and I get to be part of that, which is amazing. Um, but I'm not the centre. Just to interrupt, sorry, I'm just thinking as well that if you think that it goes right back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Ever since that ancient hand reached for that ancient fruit, we've mankind has kind of wanted to be the master of their own destiny. On, on the day of you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened, um, isn't it? So it goes right back to there. It's interesting. Um, so I want to ask the question, is it a biblical idea that God has a plan for your life, quote unquote. And I think the, the case I want to make is that there are some hints along those lines, but it's not a strong theme. And I want to be quite cautious about using that as the category for approaching questions of guidance and decision making and so on. So some of the hints we might find, some of the verses that, that spring to my mind are Ephesians 2.10, um, which says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It sounds like there's some sort of preparing in advance, some sort of plan there maybe beforehand. Uh, but there is a cross-reference in my study Bible back into chapter one, verse four, which again talks about God planning beforehand. It says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And just linking it up with that verse makes me think hmm, this is quite a this is talking in quite big picture, general terms. God chose that we should become Christians. His purpose was that we should be holy and blameless before him. We should be like Jesus. Um, and so perhaps the emphasis of Ephesians one and two is not that God decided um, what job I get or where I'd live or whatever. But God decided that I would become holy and that I would start living like Jesus and being changed to be more like him. Uh, and another verse that came to my mind was Psalm 139, verse 16, which says, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Sounds like a, sounds like a plan in advance. Um, looking at the context, the context, the immediate context is about our fetal development in the womb. It's about our physical growth rather than um, our jobs or our houses or our decisions or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a sense in this this poem, this song of of God's deep knowledge of us and foreknowledge. Um, but I think uh, I'd be hesitant to build a huge uh, a huge idea of God having a plan for my life um, on that on that scripture. Another one that often gets quoted is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Um, I know the plans I have for you. But if we read it in context, going back uh, to uh, verse 10, um, this is Jeremiah writing to Israelites who are in exile in Babylon. Um, and he's telling them, um, look, guys, you need to settle down 
and make a life for yourselves there because you're going to be there a long time and you need to get used to that idea. It's, it's I think, a bit rebuking rather than um, encouraging uh, in that sense. Um, so he's saying, look, don't believe the prophets who, uh, who are saying uh, that um, you're going to be coming back soon because you're not coming back soon. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So off the back of this, this kind of rebuke of, look, don't believe these deceiving, lying prophets. God says, I am going to bring you back. Not yet, but I am going to bring you back. Uh, I know the plans I have for you plans for welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope but he's not talking in that context about um uh what job they're going to do or where they're going to live or anything like that he's talking about his plans for the people of israel to um uh to bring them back uh to rescue them out of exile this is big picture salvation history stuff um we know that his plans go on from there to send the messiah jesus and to graft in gentiles like us into into the people of Israel um the context here is not um about whether God has a plan for my life individually the context here is about God's plan for his people God's plan for the world God's plan for history so again I want to be cautious about building a big doctrine a big idea of God having a plan for your life I think you might be able to see it behind some of these scriptures under the surface um but I don't think it's a big prominent idea in the Bible. So I think if it's a big prominent idea in our thinking, um, that might be a bit unhelpful. Yeah, I think you see stories like Abraham and God tells him to go to, to, to leave and he left without knowing where he was going. Um, you see a story, is it um, Isaac and Rebecca where um, they're you know looking for your life partner and as God supernaturally makes it obvious and puts their finger on a on a particular person or a story like uh, Acts 16 the spirit's not keen where they were they were hoping to go to a certain place but the Holy Spirit stopped them and, and called them to another place and so you you can what you can do is you can take these isolated stories and you can say well I ought to expect God to do that in my life those specific things and I think that's a mistake the point isn't um micromanagement the point is obedience in when god does speak be obedient um but it's not to set up an expectation that god will tell you where you ought to live and tell you who you ought to marry um uh, and even you know design your travel plans um i think that's a really important point that yeah. the, the the category to come to this whole thing with is obedience um Sometimes God will speak and will will give you an instruction and then you should obey it. But I don't think he's ever promised to speak specifically into every single decision you ever make. No. And I wonder as well how this, I guess it ties into the idea of calling and stuff. How often do we fall into the trap of um, thinking that um, God must have an amazing, grandiose calling upon my life and... How are, at peace are we that God's, um, quote, calling on your life might be to just live um, 
a godly life to if you've got kids to raise them in the faith you know and and um how much does the idea of calling um become unhelpful when actually often we're just called for obedience and to live these lives and 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 that that in itself is amazing um it's it's the difference between saying i feel peaceful because i'm in god's plan for my life rather than i'm peaceful because i'm in god mm. uh, and and you know it's not so much where am i going but who am i with so the yeah the bible talks about you know to be in god's will we need to be obedient to be obedient we need to be hearing god to be hearing god we need to be in relationship with god and um so the, the other way around would be to, you know, when you're in relationship with God, you will hear him speak. And when he speaks, you need to be obedient. And when you're obedient, you're in his will. Um, so I think you know, God speaks to us in all sorts of ways. He speaks to us through the word of God. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through other brothers and sisters in the faith. He speaks to us through common sense. Um, and he speaks to us through s- circumstances, but not not um not exclusively any one of those things um and and even with all of those things you need to be weighing them and you need to be discerning i think this idea of calling is is a really good question that you've sort of raised dan because there are some big ideas in the bible that have a name and then there are some other sort of ideas in the bible where we have to try and put a name on it or we have to try and describe what it is we're talking about i think uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when the Bible talks about calling in the New Testament, it tends to do it in the context of salvation. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm thinking um, Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And yeah, the language is so often to do with coming in, being part of Jesus, belonging to Christ. That's the that's the calling. Yeah. And I those, think so. Um, things like Paul being called into apostolic ministry. I think probably the word is used in that connection as well. Um, But that's not to say, therefore, that every Christian has a calling in that biblical sense. We might want to qualify that, but I think it's helpful to use, I think it's helpful to try and use the words in the same way the Bible does, um, because then we get less confused. So every um, every Christian has a part to play. Every Christian, 1 Peter 4, has a gift um, and you should use your gift to serve the church. But I don't think gift necessarily means, it certainly doesn't necessarily mean grand, um, shiny, exciting destiny. Um, you know, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 12 about gifts and, and some parts of the body being less honourable. And we give those more honour. We give those more honour and the, the parts that are less prominent get uh, more uh, prominence or whatever. Mm. Um uh, and I think it's 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 not about that, and it's not necessarily about things you're good at either. Um, we might be tempted to import that idea in because that's how we use the word. Oh, he's a really gifted tennis player. Mm. Um, that I think that's part of maybe what the Bible writers mean by it. But I my working definition for gifting is that it's the thing God's given you to do, and He might have given you to do it. You might know that He's given that to you because you're good at it, but you might know that He's given that to you because He's spoken to you about it and you might feel rubbish at it, um, but you know he's told you to do it. 
or you might know that he's given you that thing to do because um because just the situation you're in clearly it needs to be done and you're the person to do it um so uh and often uh, often the way god works is he calls people um into to do things that they feel completely incapable of because only then do they depend upon him and the Bible's just full of that, isn't it? Moses, like, who am I? I can't do this. And Gideon, I'm the least. And um, so, so many people, uh, even well, Saul, when he was chosen, but Samuel, I think he said, um, you know, my family's the smallest. And just that's the way God works, because then the, 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 the way of faith is that we have to rely on him. Um, I think a lot of people out there are... Um, are you know are called to do things that they feel completely incapable of doing in their own strength um, and often that causes them to delay doing it for a long time until yeah but really god god calls us to risk with him depend upon him and i think it's important to to say that um god god may or may not speak spe specifically to you and, and give you specific instructions about different aspects of your life if he does you must obey if he doesn't it's not like you're some sort of second class christian or something because actually the what of our of our lives is less important to god i think than the how um he, he's wanting to work on our character he's interested in the kind of people we are um when you read the bible um the the emphasis to me seems to be on that that transformation and that taking on the likeness of Jesus and reflecting God um, rather than on, or should I do A or B? Should I get job X or job Y? Um, you just don't see very much attention given to those kind of questions in the Bible as I read it. Um, and, you know, you think about say Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for the good of those who love him. Verse 29, um, for those he predestined, those he called he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son mm. this is all about becoming like jesus um rather than um having my career work out perfectly or whatever so god is god's god's emphasis i think is on our character um good verse to remember might be 1 thessalonians 4 3 this is the will of god your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, etc. Mm. It's about it's about our godliness um, first and foremost, and obedience is part of that, and therefore the decisions we make is part of that. Um, but the circumstances of our life and and the decisions, the life decisions that we make, I think are perhaps less important than sometimes we think they are. Should we talk about um, free will um, as an idea? Daniel, do you think that's a helpful category? Do we have free will? Do we not have free will? I think, I think it's, um, it's important to emphasize the relationship. God is our father. He's our creator. He is all powerful, all knowing. And we relate to him. He is the center of the universe. And um, I need to trust him to be able to lead me, which, which I do. I do trust him to be able to lead me and, and guide me. And I, I have full confidence in that. And in, in a sense, the question of do I have free, free will 
is totally secondary, therefore, to that. And it's kind of a way of describing, well, how does it work that he guides me? Um, and that's, that is an interesting question, but it's not a primary question. The primary question is, can God be trusted to guide me? And yes, he can. I think the question, the question of free will is, is, is interesting, and it has all sorts of other questions smuggled inside of it, like a Russian doll, doesn't it? Um, so if I was to sort of give you the option, do you want to choose this red pen or do you want to choose this blue pen, and you chose the blue pen of your own free will, then you might argue that you had free will in that situation. But it could equally be argued that you had very limited free will, because what if you'd wanted to choose a yellow pencil or a pink pencil? Or what if you'd not wanted to choose any pencil at all? Or what if you'd wanted a pen? So um, I think it's obvious, isn't it, that we don't choose where we're born. We don't choose who we're born to. Uh, I think there are, there are plenty of specific examples you could give where we don't have any free will. Um, but I think we tend, we tend to think possibly that to have free will is fair and to not have free will is, is unfair. Um, but I, I think obviously there are circumstances where that's true, but there are also circumstances where that isn't true. Um, I think no. of my own personal salvation. Would I rather entrust my eternal soul to my own sinful ability to make a decision or to God's infinitely good and powerful ability to make a decision? I would ra much rather entrust that decision to him. I want him to make that, that decision because he will do all things well. Uh, I know that there are situations where if I give my children free choice, for example, you, you could eat more sweets if you want to, then, then they will. But, but that's not good for them. And it's not fair to allow them to eat more sweets ad infinitum. It's actually fair not to allow them to do that. They don't have enough information to make good decisions. And so sometimes it, it just isn't as simple as fair or, or not fair. Dan, it looked like you were chipping in. Yeah, I just, I, I really agree with what you're saying. It comes, <clears throat> for me, the whole, the question of free will, it comes to an understanding of who God is. Um, he is, he is God, he is creator, and we are created beings. He is in a different category altogether. He is outside the circle of time. He sees the beginning, the, the, the middle and the end. Um, everything is perfectly open to him. He can see everything. He, he does not learn in the way humans learn. And it's, in a sense, it's impossible to understand. Um, and I think when, when it comes to the question of free will, um, if we try and categorize God in human terms, it, 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 if, if, if he interferes in any way with our will, <clears throat> we can sort of caricature him as sort of meddling or being some sort of puppet master. But that doesn't understand the goodness of God, the character of God. He is, he is infinitely holy, but infinitely good. Um, and, and our own will is not his number one priority. And that I find remarkably reassuring. I, I love the Proverbs 16, um, which says um, that we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So um, nothing can thwart the plans of God, you know, and that that I find reassuring. It's, if in some way our free will could trump God, then he would be inferior to our will, but he's not. Um, and it only it only becomes reassuring when we understand God's goodness. Um, you know, we have to trust his goodness. So sometimes in the Bible, not often, he changes people's minds. He changes the hearts of people. Um, so 
and, and they're determined to do something and he he engineers it so it doesn't happen or or the holy spirit in Acts 16 blocks uh, Paul and Silas were going to do something and then he prevents it from happening I'd love to know how it happened by the way wouldn't you like whether every time they went to go on the ship it sank or you know whether it was just a question of they had a dream where they were told not to go but um, and I, it, I find it when you understand God's goodness it's reassuring that he is sovereign over everything that our will doesn't trump him um, and it's you know when we trust the father then yeah uh, it's great it's wonderful it's a wonderful thing that um, sometimes um, we will make mistakes in life and go the wrong way sometimes he will prevent us from doing that because he knows just how bad it would have been you know um, yeah so understanding his character is more important than um, ha- us determining everything we do in life and I don't think we should think about free will as as if it's our free will versus God's sovereignty. And and in any given philosophy, the more free will we have, the less God must be sovereign or vice versa. Actually, um, our free will is a product of his sovereignty, if free will is even the most helpful phrase. Um, you know, our our responsibility before God, our ability to make choices, that's something which he as the creator has created in us and for us uh, and so um when when we make those decisions and take that responsibility we're not doing that over and against god's sovereignty we're doing that because of god's sovereignty because in his sovereignty he has made us like he's made us and put us in these situations that he's put us in um so they're not maybe they're not competing with each other maybe um we should see them as uh one as a product of the other hmm. Yeah, we have we have free will in the sense that we're faced with choices. Do do we sin? Do we choose sin or do we choose righteousness? Um, and and sometimes we choose sin, don't we? Or or even neutral uh, neutral choices in terms of morality. You know, do I marry uh, this person or do I marry that person? We we have a choice in that, and I think it's it's good to trust God to help you, you know, guide you and help you make wise decisions. Um, But it's also important to take responsibility for the decisions you're making, not to outsource your obedience to God, not to be passive. Mm. There are, there are decisions where there is a clear biblical moral right or wrong. Um, In which case, if you follow Jesus, you should choose the right. Um, and there are decisions where there isn't a, a clear biblical right or wrong, but you feel pretty sure that God has spoken to you um, that you should do A and not B, in which case you should do A and not B. Um, but there'll be lots of decisions, some of them big, some of them small, which aren't clearly a moral um, right or wrong. God doesn't seem to have spoken. Um, and I think in those situations, that that's the point where I want to say, look, if, if God hasn't given you an instruction then it's not an obedience issue and i probably want to downplay the the question of oh which is god's plan for my life what if i get it wrong and what if i make the wrong decision well then loads of bad stuff happen um i I just don't think that's a very biblical way of coming at the question i think um our focus and our our energies and our attention should be going into um, becoming more like Jesus and being obedient to him and reflecting his character um, 
rather than into the specifics of, oh, is it this house or that house? Is it this job or that job? Um, assuming that God hasn't spoken and assuming uh, that there isn't a particular moral right or wrong to it. But sometimes um, God does speak, and it'd be interesting to think about um, those times when God does speak into a situation and give us specific instructions. I think it's interesting. I, I, I went through the book of Acts and did a bit of a count up um, and looked at the times when God guided and gave people specific instructions, um, either about something to do right now in the short term or like general in terms of <clears throat> his plan for their life, if you like. And a lot of them appear from the way Luke's written it to be unsolicited. In other words, people weren't saying, God, what should I do? What should I do? Or if they were, Luke hasn't told us that they were. It didn't seem, it could be just a product of the way he's chosen to frame his narrative and write it down, which is fair enough. But it, it's not something that Luke's chosen to emphasize. And so in, in the sovereignty of God and inspiring that text, that makes me wonder, maybe that isn't something that God should be, God wants us to emphasize. This idea of um, sort of uh, needing to, get specific instructions from God um, for every decision. When the specific instructions come in Acts, it doesn't look like they asked for them, um, but it does look like they obeyed them. And that's the really important thing, that we have our antennae up, that we're aware that God will sometimes want to speak to us, maybe often, maybe about small things that you didn't think he was going to speak about. Um, uh, he will want to speak to us uh, about big life decisions, about everyday life, and when he does, we should obey. Um, but if he doesn't, I don't think we should get too hung up on that um, mm -hmm. because I'm not sure that uh, he said he would speak specifically into every situation. And I'm not sure that he wants us to wait around for a specific instruction rather than get on with serving him and, and being faithful to him and becoming more like Jesus. I don't know what you guys think about that or how that's worked out for you. I, I think that's really helpful. And I wonder just at people listening probably are, there's probably many people in the place of not really want, knowing what to do next but they feel like they want to do something more and and I would just encourage people to try things you know to prayerfully try things if God doesn't exactly explicitly outline what you should do next whether it be in ministry or job or whatever then try stuff and I believe we can pray for signposts. I always think that, that, um, you know, God will confirm things, but often, unfortunately, he confirms things after we take those steps. But what God doesn't want us to do is to passively just wait, wait for um, some sort of calling, some sort of grandiose thing to be revealed to us, because um, although that happens, it's not always the case. I think of my own life. Um, so God, really explicitly told me to go to Africa he also really explicitly told me to go to Bible college but then what, what I really struggled after the Bible college because I didn't have as an as an explicit next next step but actually God was he was he was um growing my faith then through that it, it wasn't really a wilderness time but it was a time for the first time in my Christian life that I didn't have this definitive direction of what to do next and then and but God was deepening my trust with him because it's 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 very it's kind of easy, isn't it? When God tells you exactly what to do, um, even if it's difficult, God said that. So you, it, it gives you faith to do it. But when you don't know what to do next, it that's when the rubber hits the road. 
And I think I grew more in my faith in those times of um, indecisiveness and not knowing what to do next. Um, so I would just, yeah, so to basically agree with you, Simeon, and anyone listening, um, if that's you, then try things, um, try things and prayerfully um, seek counsel of other Christians. And God will, if, if, you're, if you're going the right way, he will often give you a piece about it. He'll confirm things in scripture. You may have prophetic words, but often it's only after we take that step. It's so frustrating, but that's the walk of faith, isn't it? Yeah, and don't worry too much about, you know, is there a right way or a wrong way? Um, yeah. That if God if God wants to to speak to you about that, then He will. Make sure you listen. Yeah. Um, but if He doesn't, then um, maybe the decision about what isn't so important as the decision about how. And when we actually, at- I just want to add to that because I don't want to also unwittingly make people realise that there must be some next major thing. Um, we touched on it earlier, earlier that God calls us to obedience, to conform to Christ-likeness. And it may be that you're, I don't know, a stay-at-home mum or something and, and wondering, you know, and that, that's an amazing um, calling, you know, where you are. You're, you're, you know, you're raising children in godliness. And um, it's not to, uh, to think what's this major next step. Sometimes it is just to be faithful in where you are and to be at peace with that. And that there's such power in that, you know, you're not, you don't have to be preaching to thousands um, uh, and to, to be at peace with that. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to just raise a question about how we view our circumstances as well, because sometimes we can talk about God opening doors, closing doors, that kind of thing. Um, and, and kind of work with an assumption that if, obstacles start coming across our path then that must be God telling me uh, not to do this thing and if the path seems really easy then that must be God telling me to do this thing Um, and I think that's a bit flawed to be honest if you think about salvation um, you know the the broad path to destruction going with the flow is an easy path and um, choosing to follow Jesus is a hard path Uh, you look at the life of Paul was he following god's instructions over his life absolutely did he face lots of obstacles absolutely so i think we need to be quite wise about how we how we use circumstances to try and read god's will um he might use circumstances to point us in particular directions but it's not as simple as if it's going well it's what god wants absolutely paul the paul the example of paul is so brilliant because um just that he was shipwrecked so many times he was on the most important mission ever and god controls the wind and the waves and i just think uh, at no point does he seem to complain about that but i would be so questioning if i was doing the right thing you know if i kept getting sunk um but he doesn't um because there is there is opposition and also god calls us through difficulties sometimes because we grow through them. Um, Paul wouldn't have realised when he was crawling up to the shore before he got bitten by a snake and all the rest of it, how much we would um, learn from reading the accounts of what he went through. And um, yeah, so his difficulty doesn't, definitely doesn't equal that it's not God's plan for your life. It, rem- it reminds me of um, James, I think it's James Reason's Swiss cheese model of accident causation. I don't know if you've ever come across that, but basically there are these these barriers that we put into place in order to keep ourselves safe, checks and balances. 
but they all they all have weaknesses they all have holes so if you imagine those barriers as having as holy cheeses and sometimes the holes all align and then that's when it goes wrong and accidents happen and sometimes christians can interpret that as well this must be the will of god because these <laughs> holes align. yeah yeah but also we've got to say and this is why this su subject is so difficult to talk about isn't it because sometimes um god makes the rough places smooth and so uh part sometimes he confirms things by them being easier than you thought i mean, I mean bible college when when i just a small example when i opened the envelope for the prospectus the first thing i saw was the fees per year and i was like i said to charlotte we're not going there i'm not going there then then and i almost stopped mid-sentence because the next thing i looked at was the cover of the prospectus which was an image I'd prophetically seen and described to her. Um, so I knew that's where I was supposed to go. So, but I went, when I went to Bible college, <clears throat> not knowing how we would afford it and God did it. Um, but, you know, but would I want to recommend everyone does things like that? No, because I think God gives you, he gave me a piece about going, he prophetically confirmed it. And then, and that, that carried me through. Um, so sometimes he makes ways where there is none and things that should be incredibly difficult, just everything falls into place. So I don't want to say that it's always difficult, but this is, this is why it's such a hard subject, isn't it? But in that example, Dan, you didn't wait to have the money in your account before you enrolled on the course. No, yeah, that's true. He made, he made the rough place smooth, but that wasn't something that you used to decide whether or not he'd spoken to you. Yeah. It was yeah. the confirmation of that prophetic picture that... That gave you that clarity yeah we should talk about the the specific question that our correspondent asked us um can you mess up god's plan for your life um uh, we've we've tried to 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 cautiously put a load of question marks around the category of god's plan for your life anyway but you can imagine someone um uh daniel you were mentioning to us earlier you know the example of someone who's who's made some bad decisions and then come back to god and um and sort of wondering well now am i on god's plan b um how would you counsel someone in that situation daniel yeah so the first the first thing i think i personally my conviction is that there's no such thing as a plan a and a plan b um there's just a relationship and i think we're not always very well equipped to even analyze whether um something has gone well or gone badly i remember some missionaries in India who were killed and um, a Christian friend of mine's response was I wonder how someone so mature could get it so wrong i.e they must have made a mistake to have been killed they can't have been in the will of God whereas I'd, I wouldn't have interpreted it like that in the slightest um, so there are there are two different scenarios okay in scenario one you can either choose between a sin or righteousness. And I think if you choose sin, then in a way, yes, you're, you're not in the will of God, um, absolutely. And it may very well be that that has ongoing consequences for the rest of your life. So if you imagine David and Bathsheba, for example, um, you can make uh, sinful choices and have to live with the consequences that for, the, for the rest of your life, and that wasn't what God wanted for you, but that's what you chose. And then in scenario two, it's it, you can choose between two sort of morally neutral. Um, do I get a red car or a blue car? Do I marry Jane or do I marry Emma? Um, and, and 
it's not it's not a moral decision it's a neutral decision i think god gives us freedom to choose between godly choices i think if you've if you've sinned and gone away from god and come back to him he is so gracious so kind he can restore the years the locusts have eaten um but but there may be consequences from that period but i think even in the consequences god can can bless you and be a blessing to you and uh, in that i think um if you, if you sort of feel like you've made a decision with the best will in the world and and as you look back on it 10 years later you think i've i don't know if god was in that um it didn't meet any of my expectations and nothing there was no fruit that came from it as far as i could tell then i really feel that in retrospect that might have been a mistake i think we do we do have experiences like that um and and i suppose it's really important to sort of live through our lives in relationship with god being thankful for each moment and not really weighing the value of our life on on some imagined outcomes that we have um in our in our heart that that may have nothing to do with what god wants for us or or reality um and i i'd just throw into the mix as well you touched on grace and understanding god's grace is so key isn't it to this whole subject because and I love to think of um, in Luke 22, before Peter disowns Jesus, um, this is Jesus says to him, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So before <laughs> he's even disowned him, he says, when you come back to me, uh, use it for good. Isn't that an amazing picture? Love it. Love it. And it's, Peter's, it's Peter's faith that he's concerned for there which is interesting, isn't it? Because in, in Daniel's two scenarios, um, your life might be harder because in either scenario, because of the decision you made, your life might be harder. Um, but I, whether our life is easy or hard isn't God's top priority. God's top priority is um, us b- becoming more like Jesus and being part of his body on earth and so on. And, and God's more than capable and more than willing and, and running towards you to do those things in your life, however many bad decisions you've made. Hmm. Running towards you, just, yeah, you've just given me the image of the prodigal son, prodigal sons and daughters coming back. That's where, that's where I nicked it from, Dan. Yeah, God hitches up his skirt, loses dignity and, and sprints towards them. That's grace. And yeah. I think just as we trust God to guide us, we need to trust God to use us as he sees fit. And so if I look back on a period and think what a failure that was, um, at that point, I will ask God to help me see it differently and to help me see it as he sees it. Um, obviously, if it's a sinful situation, then that's easy enough. If it's not a sinful situation, then I, you know, often what God is trying to achieve in me and what I'm trying to achieve are quite different. Um, and wherever you find yourself right now, um, God can take you forward from that point. Yeah. If you're if you're committed to following Jesus, if he's Lord of your life, if you're open and receptive to whatever he says to you, then he can take you forward and he will take you forward into greater and greater holiness, greater and greater uh, bearing of the fruit of the spirit. Um, and uh, you might know that you've made a shadow of bad decisions. You might have made a shadow of decisions. You really don't know in all honesty whether they were the quote-unquote right ones or not 
um, let bygones be bygones um, if, without wishing to minimize or trivialize all that stuff. You know, ultimately the question is, where do you go from here? Um, and, and God will lead you forwards into growing in him and he will give you grace to live with any of the consequences of the things that have gone so far. And you can live with those consequences in a godly way. Um, I think all these, all these things are, uh, are, are things that we'd want to be quite open-handed about. Um, we've, you know, not the sovereignty of God, um, but these whole questions about how you, um, how you navigate uh, making decisions and so on. These are not kind of like decrees from on high from the elders or um, matters of doctrinal orthodoxy. Um, but hopefully our, our, our reflections today have been well, well rooted in our reading of scripture and um, given you some food for thought. So I think we'll leave it there. Um, but if you've got any more questions, then do get in touch with one of us or um, chat it through with someone else. And um, yeah, may God bless us as we all seek to uh, follow his will for our life and becoming uh, more and more like him. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. I need to reword that bit. Let me make a note to edit this bit. Daniel's disappeared. Daniel's disappeared. What was ah? Oh, what was my thread? I I um, fluffed up Daniel, so I just stopped. Um, this will be good outtake material. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was Amazon. Ah, uh, cool.